0: I'm going I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 13, in our sermon series on the gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 13, I'll begin reading at verse 1 to verse 23,
1: we're using a pew Bible that can be found on page 1010. This uh, passage of Scripture is also known as the
0: Olivet Discourse. It's also found in Luke chapter 21 and in Matthew chapter 24. And it's different than most end times uh, writings in Scripture because it doesn't have the symbolic language, the symbolic numbers Jesus speaks very plainly about what is to take place, uh, both as we look this morning at the destruction of the temple, but also what is to take place at the end of this present age. And so it's very unique in that way, in how Jesus communicates to us what the end of the age will look like, both the end of the age of the temple and the end of this present evil age until the, until the Lord Jesus comes again. So we're going to take this chapter in two halves, verses 1 to 23, and then next week, uh, verse 24, to the end of the chapter. Let us now turn to God's Word, beginning at verse 1. And as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "'Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings!' And Jesus said to him, "'Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another.' to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days of no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. As far the reading of God's word, let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, O Lord, that Your Spirit grant us eyes to see and ears to hear. May we, O Lord, be attentive to Your Word, that we would believe Your Word, and that we would walk according to Your Word, walking in faith and in the hope of salvation that has been purchased for us by Jesus, His salvation that is full and free, and that salvation that will come to completion at the end of time, when he shall come to judge the living and the dead, and the dead in Christ are raised. We pray this in your name. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, having left the temple in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples are on the Mount of Olives, hence the Olivet Discourse, and his disciple marvels at the beauty and majesty of the temple. He says, look! Look! Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And indeed, it was a wonderful temple complex, especially from a distance. Extra-biblical sources speak of how grand and glorious the buildings were. And from the view of uh, where the disciples and Jesus was, it was a glorious view. They had a panoramic view of Jerusalem and especially the temple. Because it was such a beautiful structure. The gold, the limestone, everything was so beautiful that as the sun hit it, it would just shine. It was a glorious, glorious sight to see. It was an architectural wonder in the ancient world. It was a symbol of national and religious pride for the Jews. In rabbinical Proverbs, It is said that he who has not seen the temple of Herod has never seen a beautiful building in his life. This was their pride and joy. This temple building or complex, these buildings, sat on approximately 35 acres. Just to kind of give you an idea how grand the property was, Emmanuel sits on seven acres of land including the parsonage and the grassy area, the parking lots. Seven acres. This was 35 acres with a wall around it, the temple mound, and glorious buildings with the holy sanctuary. This wasn't the temple that Solomon built, because that temple was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in 586-587 B.C., this was a temple that was being uh, remodeled by King Herod when it was rebuilt in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. King Herod was known as an architectural genius. And so in 19 B.C. he decided to rebuild the temple, rebuild the complex with wonderful grand stones. Thousands and thousands of men were Called upon to move these enormous stones. In the back of your sermon notes, I put there what the complex might have looked like based
1: on historical writings, particularly Josephus. Enormous stones, marble, a lot of gold.
0: And when the sun hit the temple, it was a wonderful sight to see. This is what they're staring at. Look, teacher, how grand. Look how beautiful, beautiful these temple buildings are. What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't marvel at the temple buildings. But rather, he foretells its ultimate end and destruction. The grand and seemingly indestructible temple with these enormous stones that are made by human hands, will be toppled and come to nothing. Jesus said, do you see these great buildings? Verse 2. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown
1: down. Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple and also Jerusalem. The emphasis is on the temple, and we'll see why. The temple in Jerusalem will be sacked by
0: Rome and destroyed. And we read at verses 3 and 4 that the disciples asked two questions to Jesus. When, when and what? When will the destruction of the temple occur? What will be the signs that precede the destruction of the temple? And so we're going to look at the signs of the temple's destruction. We're going to look then how Jesus charges the the disciples in light of these signs and the coming judgment upon the temple. Then we're going to look at the significance. We're going to go back to the temple's destruction and why it's so significant in the history of the Jews and the church. The
1: signs of the temple's destruction. When and what? You see, Jesus
0: here, like a good shepherd of His sheep, forewarns.
1: He's comforting the sheep, His disciples. He's going to forewarn
0: them with signs that are to come of this impending, imminent destruction. But it's really a comfort too.
1: He's making them aware of what's going to happen so they're not caught by surprise. So it's really a comfort to them and a blessing that the Lord
0: would give them these signs. And these signs are unique, as I said earlier, that He plainly states to them in His instruction that there will be first false messiahs or false Christs and prophets Many will come in My name, saying, I am He. Many will come to be saviors of Israel and Jerusalem. Many will come and say, I am going to save you from the hand of the Romans. I am your guy. I am the Christ, the Anointed One. And they will try to make a name for themselves. And in the course of history... Before A.D. 70, from the time of Christ's ascension to the right hand of the Father, giving instructions to His disciples, His apostles, to the time of A.D. 70, when the temple is destroyed by the Romans, we see this sign occur. We see false Christ, false messiahs arising. You may remember in Acts chapter 5 when the Jewish leader Gamaliel Told the Jewish Council, the Sanhedrin, "Don't worry about these disciples of Jesus. Many, many Christs have come. You remember Theutis? Remember Judas? Remember those two guys who had a following and they tried to make a name for themselves and tried to, you know, be a prophet to the people? What happened to them? They were destroyed. They perished. So in that first century, there were false Christs and false prophets." that the disciples themselves were even made aware of and pointed out. We see this in Paul's warnings to the churches in Asia Minor in his letters. Not only are there going to be false messiahs or false Christs, but there's going to be international war and rumors of war. We see that in our text too. For nation, verse 8, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be wars and rumors of wars. National conflict and wars. There's going to be national disaster or national disasters, earthquakes and famines. All of these occurred in the first century A.D. There was a very well-known recorded famine that
1: took place. There were many earthquakes that took place as well that have been recorded. These are signs that Jesus is giving to
0: the disciples. Not only that, not only are there going to be false Christ, not only is there going to be international conflict and war, not only are there going to be natural disasters, but there's going to be persecution, great tribulation. This is where the idea of great tribulation comes. There's going to be great tribulation. Great tribulation from within and from without. From within, it's going to come from family. From without, it's going to come from kings and princes and nations. We see that in verses 9 and following. Look with me in your Bible. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over do not be anxious beforehand what they are going to say what you are going to say but say whatever is given you in that hour for it is not you who speak but the holy spirit and brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death from within and from without there will be great persecution hardship Trials, And this is what happens with the apostles and disciples. Because we need to remember that Jesus' first audience here, His first audience is the disciples. They will experience these things. And we see this throughout the course of their lives. Especially the apostle Paul, who became an apostle of Christ and received direct revelation from Christ. They were persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, some martyred for the sake of Christ. And this occurred from kings and princes. You remember how they were confronted by councils and kings, and they spoke in the power of the of the, the spirits, fulfilling here what he says. Whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was working through them in such a way that the power of the gospel was going forth. And truth being proclaimed. Not only that, there would be division in the family. From within, there would be persecution. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10.
1: Beginning at verse 34. Matthew chapter 10. In this chapter, he talks about persecution.
0: He talks about wolves in the midst of the church. A lot of the themes that we see in Mark 10 are here in Mark 10, or Matthew 10. He says at verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. This is going to happen. This is the sign, Jesus says, of when the coming destruction of the temple will occur. When you see all of these things are happening, there is imminent destruction about to take place. He has not come to bring peace. Now this evening we're going to have the sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, peace. Jesus here is talking about civil peace. And I'll open that up a little bit more. There's a difference between civil peace and spiritual inner peace. He's talking about civil peace here. That civil peace will not occur because of
1: hatred towards believers, even within the home. I remember one time I shared the gospel with a family member,
0: and everything was going well until I preached or shared with them the
1: resurrection of Christ. And he grabbed me by the the collar and threw me up against the wall. I'm like, ooh, this isn't going to go well. We have cordial conversations now, by the way. And he'll listen to me. But the gospel brings division. And Jesus says, this is a sign. This is a sign. Of the coming destruction.
0: Now we have a difficult verse in here. You may have thought I'd pass it over. But look with me at verse 10. We would think that along with this sign. This sign may be more future. Because of verse 10 that says. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. This we have to admit is a difficult verse here. A difficult verse. However comparing scripture with scripture. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1.
1: Colossians chapter 1. This too being a difficult passage or verse, but this shows that it is not in conflict, verse 10 is not in conflict with the temple's
0: destruction at A.D. 70 when the Romans destroyed the temple and Jerusalem. Verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. How in the world can he say that? You know, there are times when you come to a passage in Scripture and you say, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Perhaps he's speaking hyperbolically, that is, he's using an exaggeration. Perhaps he's talking about the Roman world.
1: The Roman nation. But because of that passage in Colossians, we would not be far off
0: by saying that that Jesus can include this in here in stating this because this will be a time when the gospel will go forth from Pentecost out into the nations. Because what happened at Pentecost? The nations came to Jerusalem to celebrate a festival, and that's when the Spirit dwelt among the people of God, and the Spirit, uh, through Peter, preached the gospel of Christ, and then the people went where? Into the nations, the respective nations of which they came. I don't want to belabor this point, but I still believe that we're still referring... To the disciples here, that Jesus is speaking, giving signs to the disciples, his first audience, that these are going to take place before the destruction of the temple. But then Jesus forewarns the apostles of a final act that will occur called the abomination of desolation. Look with me at verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where you ought to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This abomination of desolation, or it can be translated the abomination that results in desolation. There's an occurrence that will happen when there will be defilement
1: of God's temple. And that is what happened when the Romans attacked and sieged the temple
0: and Jerusalem. They defiled the temple. Under Emperor Titus. Defiled the temple. In fact there were many before him who defiled. Or sought to defile the temple. But it was finally destroyed in AD 70. When the fire was brought upon the temple. And the temple was utterly
1: destroyed. Listen how Josephus the Jewish historian describes it. He says this
0: about the horrors of Rome's attack on Jerusalem, and he does so in great detail. He said the Romans crucified so many Jews that they didn't have enough wood to make crosses. In the city there was intense fighting, severe famine and diseases, and many murdered. Josephus estimated that 1.1 million Jews were murdered by the Romans during the siege. There was one wall outside of the Temple Mound called the West Wall that was the only left standing. It wasn't part of the temple buildings, but it was a wall by the, on the temple mound, that is called the west wall, and we know it today as the wailing wall. You've heard of that, where Jews and rabbis would make a pilgrimage there, and they would wail before the wall, waiting for the restoration of the temple of God, the earthly temple. They believe that God's presence still abides in that western wall, in that
1: wailing wall. These are the signs, Jesus says. When you see this happen, the time has come.
0: But now I'm going to transition to point two, which is the charge to His disciples. Christ's charge to His disciples. Because throughout the signs that are given by Jesus, He gives them charges. He gives them encouragement. He gives them comfort. And you may have noticed that. He gives them three in particular. He says, be watchful.
1: Make haste and persevere. Be watchful, or
0: be on guard," verses five, nine and 23. "In this world, you will have trouble. During this time, there will be great tribulation. There will many attempt, be attempts on your life. There are many attempts to lead God's elect astray. Many who call the name of Christ will show that they do not believe in Christ because they will go astray and follow after the world and the devil. But you be watchful.
1: Be on guard. Don't be deceived. He also gives them another charge.
0: And we see this at verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out, and so on, the verse goes. And so he commands them or charges them to make haste. When you see these things happen, make haste. Especially the abomination of desolation. You
1: know the end of the temple is near, and it's not going to be good. Jesus graciously saves their physical lives by giving them these signs and and an escape plan. He's their spy, so to speak. You think about a war. Or you think about the the
0: attacks in Ukraine. Missiles coming unbeknownst to to the Ukrainians
1: and the, the villagers. It would be nice to get a heads up. Jesus here is giving him a heads up. This is going to happen. Make haste
0: and move. Move to the mountains so that you may be
1: saved and that the people, the the Christian Jews, may flee to safety. This is further evidence that
0: Jesus refers to the destruction of the temple and actually not the end of the age in this particular section. There's no use to running to the hills at the end of the age when he comes again. Third part here, another charge that Jesus gives his disciples is to persevere to the end. For those who perseveres in faith to the end will be saved spiritually. During Roman oppression and persecution of Christians in those days, friends, even in the second century, century, there was much persecution, much martyrdom, and when Christians were called to denounce their faith and give allegiance to Caesar, many gave in. But when the persecution stopped, these who denounced Christ wanted to come back into the church, and those who stood firm and persevered were like, "Uh, wait a second, you just denounced Christ. You turned your back on us. And so there was this conflict, even within the church, that during these times of persecution, would those who persevered, those who pressed on, and remained in the church, who were not martyred, would they forgive and
1: welcome those who did give in to Caesar and persecution? This was a problem. All these signs and the charges that Jesus gave to His disciples precede the destruction
0: of the temple. But these signs and these charges to His disciples are not different than the signs given to the church today as it relates to the end of the age. Because there's commonality between both the signs of the temple's end and destruction, and the signs of the end of time with the coming of Christ, which we'll look at next week. Because we, friends, live in the days of tribulation. We, too, live where there are wars and rumors of wars, persecution, family discord because of the gospel, hatred, and in the context of the second coming, Paul even talks about the man of lawlessness who will come. And He will deceive many by signs and wonders. And so when we, the church, await the coming of the Lord Jesus in His second coming, we too have the same signs, the same things will occur. And He's teaching us how to find hope, how to find rest in the tribulation.
1: For we are in tribulation. He's teaching us how to cope in this fiery trial. Let me ask you something. When you, when you hear these signs that given by Jesus, aren't they indicative of what's going on today? I mean, seriously, look at the news. Read the paper. All of these things are happening and have been happening since the early
0: church. He's not calling us to take these signs and draw conclusions as to what date He will come back. He's not calling us to a prophecy conference to discern the times. He's not saying January 1st,
1: 2000, He's coming back. Remember those days? No, these signs are occurring. And there will be a day when He
0: will come again. In the meantime, in the meantime,
1: take heart, be watchful, watch over your soul, your faith, and persevere. The only difference is we don't need to run. We only run to Jesus in our trials and tribulations. Let's look at the last
0: point, the significance of the temple's destruction. The earthly temple was the holy place of God where God placed his name and the people worshipped him. The city of Jerusalem was known as the city of David, the city of the king. And so when the temple was destroyed, it was destroyed in accordance with God's word and judgment. You remember we learned from the fig tree, the cursed fig tree. The fig tree didn't bear fruit and was cursed by Jesus which ultimately pointed to the temple. The temple was not fruitful. It was dry and ruined, and therefore suffered curse, the curse of God. God removed His glory from the temple, and the glory was placed upon Jesus the Son. Let us not miss the significance of the destruction of the temple.
1: Listen carefully. Because the temple is not going to be rebuilt, because the temple in Jesus has come.
0: In fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 11, listen what Ezekiel says. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city, the Mount of Olives. And so the glory of the Lord on Jesus is looking upon the temple that is about to be destroyed, the temple in which the glory of the Lord dwelt and has now been removed and placed upon Jesus. Jesus
1: is the temple. That is the significance of the temple's destruction. Furthermore, the
0: temple hasn't been rebuilt because the old dispensation of the earthly temple and the old covenant worship Worship is done, complete, because it is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the sacrifice for our sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the fulfillment of the temple. He is the one who said to the Jews in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus is the temple, the glory of God in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. God present with us, and Jesus is present with us now by his spirit, though he is in his flesh at the right hand of the Father. The disciples have seen his glory, they say, the glory of the only begotten Son of God who tabernacled among us. In Christ and through Christ, then, in Christ and through Christ, we become the temple of God. Jesus being the cornerstone of the temple. And we are the precious stones, the magnificent stones, the glorious stones. The disciples had their minds fixed on an earthly temple with glorious stones. Jesus, and the significance of Jesus being the glory of God, the temple of God, draws our attention in the Scriptures to the people of God being those stones,
1: those precious stones, where God is the builder. In Christ and through Christ,
0: we have become the temple of God, a spiritual temple not made with human hands, but made by God Himself. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and no enemy of God can destroy God's temple. No enemy of God can destroy you, Christian, can knock you off your place on God's temple. If you are a precious stone of God, Being built by God, a part of God's temple, nobody will topple you over. Because He has built you and He has kept you firm in the faith, firm in Christ. You are built upon Christ, the cornerstone. He is the rock of God's building that holds us together and we will never be moved or shaken. The devil has no hold over us. The devil has no hold over you, Christian. And he can never destroy. And here's another important significance of the temple's destruction because Christ has become our temple, the temple of God. Where God's people gather, both Christian,
1: Jew, and Gentile, God Himself is with us. He is with us now. He is with us now. Worshipping. Being worshipped by His people. So how does that make you think then about God when you enter His presence with His people? What does that make you think about when you think about worshipping God?
0: Does it make you think about your heart? Where's your heart?
1: Where is your attention drawn to this very minute, this very hour? God is with us. We are His temple. Beautiful, precious stones of God's grace in Christ. His church
0: is the precious building with precious stones that the Lord God, the Lord Jesus
1: built and that the Lord Jesus approves of. Look, teacher, look. Look what marvelous
0: stones, what wonderful buildings. From Jesus' perspective, he looks at you and me, Christian. He looks at you and me and considers us precious in his sight. Amen. Let's pray.
1: Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that by your grace... And your mercy. You have made us. Into a holy temple. A royal
0: priesthood. And that your presence abides with us. And will never leave us nor forsake us. And we O Lord. Look to the one who is the glory and image of the invisible God the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: We look to Him in faith. We pray, O Lord, that You would grant us hearts that are watchful
0: and that You would help us, O Lord, by Your Spirit and Word to persevere and press on during this tribulation in which we live, knowing that there's an eternal inheritance that awaits the people of God in the heavenly places, an inheritance that will never perish nor
1: fade, Oh Lord, we thank you and give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name.